But if you brand yourself as this artisan, this artist woodworker, and they've seen it repetitively from you that you're doing something that nobody else seems to be doing, you'll be viewed as an artist. And when you submit your price to them, there'll be very little room for haggling or negotiations. That's the voice of Donnie Galley, owner of Designs by Donnie. And I'm excited to talk with him right after this word from our sponsor. This show is brought to you by our sponsor, Jobber. Jobber brings people and technology together by keeping jobs on track, customers happy, and your business organized. Jobber also just recently launched a new grant program, Boost by Jobber, a program providing $100,000 to 20 small local home service businesses across the U.S. and Canada. So whether you're just starting your business or you're a well-established business, you're invited to apply for a grant. Just visit BoostByJobber.com. That's BoostByJobber.com. Hello and welcome to Building a Furniture Brand with Ethan Abramson, the show that talks about the business behind the furniture business. On this episode, I sit down with Donnie Galley, owner of the Destin, Florida-based furniture company, Designs by Donnie. Donnie's work is hard to categorize. Yes, it is large and imposing, giant timbers with rustic flavors, but it also has a delicateness to it. An artistic sensibility to work the solid lumber he uses into flowing shapes and lines that seem almost impossible to make with the materials and the scale that he does them in. Donnie was a businessman before he became a furniture maker. And after each of his businesses failed, instead of giving up, he learned from them and became stronger after each one. But a hard-working attitude doesn't always get you to where you need to go. And Donnie found himself with a wealth of knowledge but very little else to show for his work. He turned to furniture not out of passion, but out of necessity. I've kind of been an entrepreneur my whole life. Um, and this is the first business that I've done that's actually been successful. So I'm pretty stoked about it. It makes me feel like it, it's the one that was meant to be. Um, I, you know, I got started into this uh, really at an older age. I'm, I'm 45 now. And like I said, I got started in it, you know, eight years ago, and it was pretty much uh, a passion uh, and like a skill set that I didn't even really know uh, that I had. And I didn't even know how to even establish a woodworking business when I got into it. I was working um, as a property manager uh, here in Destin, Florida, uh, for a resort, a local resort company, uh, which in this area, you know, resorts and condos and property management is, that's a huge thing for jobs here. Uh, and that's what I was doing prior to this. Um, but I had found myself let go during the holiday season. Um, and in the holiday season, and which is considered the, the off season here, it's really hard to find employment. So I was going through a big depression, big struggle, big hurdle on trying to find a job. Uh, and long story short, I couldn't get hired on anywhere as another property manager because of the timing uh, of the seasons. Unfortunately, they they don't plan ahead and hire ahead. They actually wait till season hits. I know that seems strange, but it seems to be the way that it works here. Um, and you know, after several months of uh, applying and, and getting desperate, and uh, pretty depressed. My wife uh, sent me into our garage and said, why don't you uh, make us a table? Um, and, you know, I was thinking, what do I know 
but I went into the garage. I had very few tools. We were talking a circular saw, of course, the hammer and drill, um, you know, just basic hand tools. Uh, and I made a really cool um, console table. It really blew my mind. And it was really my first real uh, woodworking experience. But I would like to like go backwards just a little bit. Now, my grandfather, my late grandfather, he really inspired me uh, with woodworking and as being an artist. And as a little kid, he taught me a lot about reclaimed wood and, and building uh, birdhouses and fence repair. So he gave me some basic carpentry experience and knowledge. Um, and he also gave me lessons on how to draw um, sketch and, and paint. And I can pretty much to this day draw uh, a sketch or paint just about anything. Um, and my whole life, I've wanted to make things with my hands and I've wanted to be an artist as far as like a painter or, you know, sketch goes, but I never knew how to apply it into making money. Um, and I didn't want to have that stereotypical, you know, starving artist. You know, I, ha I had a wife and I, I couldn't make that kind of leap. So basically I got started into woodworking and finding my passion um, as an artist and a woodworker uh, pretty much kind of pushed into it sort of speak. Um, and I find my passion, passion that I never knew I really had. And, um, and that's where I'm at today now, uh, building and growing my furniture business. Um, it has really been an amazing journey full of, uh, highs and lows. I won't, uh, you know, I won't BS you. I mean, every experience and most great stories, uh, not that mine is great, usually comes, um, from my experience through hardship or hard times. And my story is definitely one of those. Uh, when we got this business going, uh, and by we, I mean my wife and I, we were uh, getting evicted from our home. Um, we were three days away from homelessness uh, with no money, uh, negative bank accounts, car repossessions, you name it. We were going through it. Um, everybody chasing me down, uh, credit cards, bill collectors, you know, so it was just a horrible time to even try to begin a business. But like I said, I was stuck here in a resort town, um, after losing my job and couldn't find new employment. So I, I really didn't have any options. And I, I, to this day, I wouldn't change it for the world because I'm doing what I love. Uh, and I would have never known it and would have never forced myself to take this journey had this not happened. Um, so that's where I'm at today. You had a passion for building that you got from your grandfather and you definitely had an entrepreneurial passion and it shows that you like to work hard, but at the same time, it, it also sounds like you were not in a good place monetarily and also mentally, both really trying situations to find yourself in. A lot of people think that all the stars need to align and everything needs to be perfect before they can make the jump of going out on their own and starting their own business, but your story definitely shows that you do not. You do not have to be in a perfect situation to do this. It's impressive, and, and I don't need to tell you because you lived it, but your story is impressive. It's impressive to hear about where you were in your life to where you are now. And not only that you are successful, but also that you're following your passions. You're doing a job that is fulfilling for you, that's giving you financial security and also giving you the ability to be artistic, which is what you want. A lot of people are reaching for that. They wanna nurture their artistic passions, but they also wanna nurture their own bank accounts at the same time. 
and and that's why they want to start their own furniture company and you're doing that you're you're living the dream thank you man i i appreciate that big time big time yes yes big time it's actually a perfect transition that you said that because if anyone has seen your furniture for lack of more poetic adjectives your your work is big time it is oversized and larger than life and it's definitely easily recognizable as your own personal style which is great for someone with their own furniture collection. It's great to stand out in the crowd, but you are, you're a custom furniture company. And in the custom world, the client comes to you and they usually want their own style of furniture to be built, or they want you to be a jack of all furniture styles and able to make anything. But you have that very specific style that you make. What made you decide to do that stylized custom furniture? Uh, well, you know, I've been very business minded. Uh, like I said, pretty much my whole life, I've been an entrepreneur. I've owned several businesses, you know, that have failed. Uh, but, you know, failure is only one step, you know, before success. So I learned something from each one of those businesses that I tried. Um, and I everything that was success on those journeys uh, with those businesses, I took those successes and applied it to this business. And and starting this furniture business, I knew right from the jump um, after I had made that first piece of furniture for my wife um, and she didn't even really know I had a skill set like that either. And she said, you know what, we should try selling this. Um, and it sold very quickly. I may be slightly exaggerating, but I, I wanna say it sold within 30 minutes. So you, we, we could call it within an hour online. Um, and it wasn't for a lot of money, obviously. It was my very first piece, but um, it really got me uh, going in my mind and my thoughts business-wise. So I thought, well, the first thing I got to do is some research. You know, I need to set myself apart uh, from furniture makers out there. Let me do some research. Let me find my voice, uh, so to speak, and my voice meaning my style. Um, so I basically, I jumped on uh google I, I was on instagram facebook youtube you name it i didn't have my own channels or anything at that point uh but i hopped on all those platforms and started digging in deep um trying to see what was out there in the furniture world so to speak and the one thing i saw that was in common from uh woodworkers uh carpenters and big box furniture stores was nobody was building large-scale furniture uh, now, of course, there were, you know, maybe a a large uh, built-in bookend for a living room, but it was, you know, the old school style and it wasn't beefy. It just might have been tall or wide, depending on the space they fitted in. So I couldn't find anything out there at the time that was large scale and chunky uh, furniture wise. So I knew right off the bat, I made my, got my notepad out and I checked the box go large go big or go home and i i literally wrote something like that next to style of furniture um and i wrote very chunky and i remember doing a little asterisk underneath that um uh writing down i found this website called restoration hardware never heard of it nothing like that looked it up um and it had some beefy furniture and i was like wow and they, they seem to be killing it um from looking at all these channels and their website and comments um i was like wow there's something to this big beefy style furniture people love it um so right there initially i did my research i dug deep and i knew i needed to find my voice and my style was going to be big chunky beefy um but following that 
I knew I needed to choose also like a style, like, was it going to be rustic? Or was it going to be contemporary? You know, w- what did people want? Um, and I, I dove deep Google and everything that you could possibly imagine. And also, once again, the one thing that came up that was most in common was rustic. People wanted to, you know, in other words, not like a fine furniture piece where it was highly polished or, or highly uh, poly, you know, they didn't want glossy and shiny. They, re- they really wanted something more dull as if it was more natural and, um, you know, that type of look. So I decided I'm going to go big. I'm going to go rustic. That's my first two things. So I got going on that mindset and that's where I found, uh, my love for building big giant sized, uh, furniture pieces. And, and it grew from there exponentially, really. Um, I built my first large scale um, piece for an interior designer, a local interior designer, uh, and she loved it. And she put it in her her interior design store and sold it, you know, like almost right away. Um, and before I knew it, um, I would probably stay within like six months. Again, I'm slightly exaggerating because I don't have those timelines written down. But in my mind, I would say within six months, I was crazy busy crazy crazy busy people designers and and clients and people reaching out from all over wanting to order rustic style huge furniture pieces um and that's basically what got me going on these large scale items uh just doing market research and trying to find a void in the marketplace um you know every entrepreneur always uh, says, you know, if you find a void in the marketplace and you find a solution to that void, then you've got a successful uh, formula. Um, so I'd already known that going from other businesses. And I, like I said, I, I applied that to this new business of woodworking. Um, and it, it worked. Going big uh, or go big or go home, so to speak, and going rustic really worked. As anyone can see by looking at your company and where you are today, that it, it's working for you. So hats off to you on that. It's, it's no secret that alongside success in the furniture business, you have also had a lot of success on social media. And that has really helped you get your name out there, I'm sure. But there was a time before, before you had this large following and before you had a list of designers who wanted your work and before you were a successful furniture company, a a time when you were just starting out. What was your strategy when you were just starting out to get your name out there and get your furniture noticed? How did you begin this journey? Um, uh, Pretty easily. I, I, you know, I mean, it wasn't easily achieved, but pretty easy as far as my thought pattern goes. I... Uh, like I said, previous businesses um, had taught me a lot of face-to-face contact and, you know, and that's uh, where it's at, so to speak, as far as getting new customers. So what I did for myself was I came up with a, a postcard. It was, um, I guess it was maybe slightly oversized, like a four by six postcard. It basically had my logo on the back and contact information. And then it had just Like, I believe it had three photos of some cool work that I had done. And at that point, I'm pretty sure all I had built was about three pieces. (laughs) So it was like my only three photos. Um, And I I did some uh, Google research. Uh, I wanted to start with interior designers because I knew interior designers were working with high-end clients. And I knew I wanted to reach the big money clients. 
Um, so I knew that was a, a middleman to reaching those big, the big dogs, so to speak. Um, so I, I Googled all the addresses to every interior designer, uh, ranging from basically Pensacola to Panama City. Um, now, I didn't end up getting all of those because it's, you know, obviously very time consuming. But I literally went door to door, meaning store to store with interior designers, walking in, introducing myself and and giving them my postcards. So instead of giving them a business card or some generic flyer, I thought a really cool, glossy um, postcard would do the trick. It was short, and if it looked cute enough, they would just leave it on their desk for a little while versus a business card that they might throw in the trash can or or take a thumbtack and put it on a board with you know 9,000 other business cards. Um, so I started going door to door um, until I started getting one order at a time. Uh, and that is literally how I started it. It, it was face-to-face contact, door-to-door. And I had known um, earlier in my life, I had a ADT home security franchise business, which failed. Uh, but one thing those executives um, taught as far as getting sales is they said there's so many avenues out there uh, to get business. But the one proven method that still works for their 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 franchise today is door to door um and see and for me going door to door face to face it's kind of intimidating and it's a little bit pushy in my book and i'm i'm not really a pushy type person so that was uh, in conflict in my own my own spirit i didn't want to push anybody into it um but you can never judge based off of how you would respond, how you would respond to somebody trying to sell you something door to door. You you may say no way and slam the door in their face, but you can't base it off what you would do because there's a lot of people that are needing information. Um, and regardless of the form it comes in, face to face is still a great way to connect with somebody. They can sum you up in just a couple of minutes, whether they like you, dislike you, if they want to do business with you. And it's just a good thing to do, um, especially in our digital age we're in right now where everybody's going digital almost i mean almost all the way you're losing that personal connection and honestly the older generation uh isn't as connected digitally as we are um and you know truth be told a lot of the big money people out there in the world um they're older and they they're not as trendy or as social media driven or or just digital driven they still uh you know like print and they still like the old school you know types of advertisement so going face to face really resonates with them especially in this time where they're being attacked with digital stuff you know you're coming face to face old school you can immediately relate with them uh and they appreciate it and you know, I knew going door to door, going face to face with interior designers was how I was going to start my business. And that's how I started building a name uh, for my order taking and uh, and making my furniture was getting sales from all interior designers. And it, it was a great start for me, for sure. Now, I have several ways um, that I that I implemented after that that grew it, you know, bigger and faster, uh, you know, social media wise and uh digitally speaking. Uh, But to start, I went face to face, door to door, interior designers. And I I think that is still a great avenue for anybody starting their their side hustle in the furniture business today or tomorrow, or trying to just go straight in full time. I, I think you have to really find your voice, your style, 
and you really got to get out there door to door in your local marketplace uh, where you're locally, you know, from and, and go a, a little ways out. Um, and you, you, I mean, unless you're somewhere rural in the very country where it's not going to have interior designers and stuff like that, you got to get a little more creative. Um, and I, I've done lots of stuff, you know, out of that as well. But I would always recommend going interior designers. Yeah, interior designers are great because they are a great middle person to broker deals. It's it's their job. When you're just starting out and even when you're past that, even when you are an established business, you don't always have the time to be building and selling. Both of those are full-time jobs and it, you can't do both. So working with designers is almost like having a partner, someone who will do all the legwork, present to a client and do the sale and you can just focus on the building side. And designers need furniture makers. They, they're just that. They're the designers. And they design a piece, but they can't build it. So finding a good interior designer to work with is, is a perfect symbiotic relationship for a furniture maker. They need woodworkers so badly. They're, they're actually in need of woodworkers more now than they were when I started. Uh, and that's due to our pandemic and everything that we're currently going through, which is, you know, like a a business lesson 2.0 sort of thing you know this getting shipping and, and freight right now is you and, and I'm, I'm sure every woodworker you know that's going to be listening to this will be able to relate to is i mean you can barely buy a product or a tool or a machine right now without a major delay i'm waiting on several uh, new machines that i will i'll be lucky i've heard if i even get them this year and i ordered them six months ago um so what I'm getting at is these interior designers, what they do is they order furniture from overseas furniture manufacturers for the most part. Now, there are some local ones that do it in North Carolina, you know, big areas like that. But 99% of them get their furniture from overseas and they buy it at wholesale prices. And of course, they mark it up two times to three times and sell it in their interior design store. So uh, a, a lot of their business, their whole business model almost is based around buying low and selling high. And right now they can't even receive their shipments. They can't even get anything in their stores. They're running out of product. So any woodworkers that are listening and wanting to establish a name for themselves today, you better get out and get knocking those doors at, the, at those interior design stores. You're going to have more business than you can handle right now. This is prime time. I know, I know that you said that you brought along a postcard, but I, I just can't help but shake this image of a younger you with a, a flatbed truck driving around to a designer to after designer with uh, you know a 20 foot tall dresser on the back of your truck and a 30 foot long table and just driving around and parking in front of the stores and, and giving your sales pitch full of fanfare. You walk in and you're like, come on out and take a look at some of my smaller pieces. <laughs> probably not great on gas mileage but it, it would have been impressive <laughs> that's right that's right you do make really big pieces and, and we're joking about it but it is true and and with that comes a lot of material and a lot of work and by extension a larger price tag your pieces are not cheap people aren't coming to you and looking for say a small side table or something dainty you don't make accent pieces they know when they come to you, it's going to be big and it's going to cost a lot. How do you go about pricing your work when you know it's going to be 
you know, just by the default of your style, it's going to be more expensive than, say, a custom furniture maker who's just down the road who's making standard pieces of furniture. Um, well, it's actually a very tricky thing, pricing. You know, uh, as, as a woodworker, um, and most, you know, woodworkers out there, they're, they're, they will consider themselves artisans. You know, they'll consider themselves artists. Um, and as an artist, you really hold yourself in a different type of light. You don't know how to price something because you're thinking, oh gosh, I want to give somebody something really amazing, but I don't want to beat them up on a huge, hefty price tag. Um, and as artists, we always think that we want to do better than what we've seen from others in the world and, and like, uh, big big box furniture retailers, you know, we're thinking we want to give you all the cool stuff woodworking wise, cool joinery, cool, huge pieces. And we want to give you the lowest price. Um, but it's a huge mistake. Um, and I want to say that right out the gate, you know, when I, when I first started, that was my motto. I'm going to give people the highest quality, um, and the coolest designs for the lowest prices. When I very first started, that was my mindset. Um, but that was wrong. And I shortly figured out after that, if you Google, um, what are the top 10 mistakes furniture, uh, businesses make starting out is pricing all their stuff too low, thinking you're going to get more sales. Um, but the, but the problem is you're most likely starting your journey. You're a, you're a one man show or a one woman show, uh, you know, and you're not an assembly line. So you can't bang out you know, two dozen dining tables. So, and if you can't do that, then you can't sell low. Um, so I had a very hard time in my journey. I really battled that because I, I truly wanted to give the most affordable pricing. Um, and I still to this day battle that a little bit. Uh, although my prices are, are so expensive, I, I really couldn't afford to buy anything from myself, honestly. There's nothing wrong with having high prices. If your skill or your designs or your name warrant it, you should make as much money off your craft as you can. That's that's what owning a business is all about. People know that they're going to pay for your work and for your reputation. You, you've done this for a while now, but for custom work, pricing is always tricky for anyone. What's the one thing you would tell people to watch out for when they are pricing their work? everyone usually shafts themselves on the labor side of it. They get it right on the material pricing, uh, but they undercut themselves on the labor. Um, and the labor is, you know, it's a tricky thing. If you're starting out today and you've never sold a piece um, and you, you consider yourself, you know, like a jack of all trades, yeah, I can do this and I can do that. I don't have all these cool techniques down, but I can do it it'll be high quality you sometimes have to base your labor price a little bit on your journey if you're just starting obviously you can't charge an arm and a leg because you got to build your brand um and sometimes that's starting low and, and you slowly increase your prices but you definitely wherever you start at today you have to increase your labor price um now obviously if you're not doing a side hustle and you're going into full time well then you know exactly how much money you need to make to make this journey work for you um so you need to base that into an hourly rate for yourself uh labor wise and if this project you know takes 40 hours to build and you need 20 dollars an hour you need to plug that in and and do it accordingly or if you need 30 dollars or 40 dollars you need to plug it in 
Um, and you're going to have to stick to your guns on that and, and, and go with that with the customer. Um, but I like, um, I, I really branded myself in the beginning, um, with my style of furniture. I really wanted to impress, uh, the client, so to speak, or the potential client that they can get this amazing piece of furniture for me. So I were, I really wanted to be branded as an artist because I knew in my mind, if you can brand yourself as an artist, you'll get paid way more than if you brand yourself as a woodworker. Some of you have probably never heard anybody say that, um, but think about it in terms of an artist who paints paintings out there. Um, the price point is all over the map. It's crazy. You could see one abstract painting that somebody threw paint and, and, and just tossed it on there and it was their, their deal. Um, and they, they'll sell that picture, you know, for $10,000, $20,000 quickly. And then you'll see another, another artist that does the exact same thing and he sells it for $500. So what, what helps there is the mindset is artists aren't compared to one another. So when a customer is seeking a dining table, that's a little bit different. If they see you as just a woodworker and you give them a price on a dining table or a bookcase, they're going to hop online and they're going to check out all these similar type comparable products. And they're going to be like, oh my gosh, this guy was, or this girl is so expensive. Look, I can get this from over here or from this woodworker. And, they're, and they do this comparative shopping. But if you brand yourself as this artisan, this artist woodworker, and they've seen it, repetitively from you that you're doing something that nobody else seems to be doing you'll be viewed as an artist and when you submit your price to them there'll be very little room for haggling or negotiations because they know they're coming to an artist and they're not going to be out there doing that comparative shopping woodworking is awesome i'm i consider myself a woodworker but when i talk about pricing i consider myself an artist um, so i price my stuff based on what i need and what i think uh, the piece is actually worth. You know, I really, I really love that. I, I really love hearing you say that because it, it's a concept that you hear a lot, but you cannot hear it enough, honestly. Don't undersell yourself. And that should always be in capital letters on a neon sign, a, a hundred feet tall, because people forget it. You can get so lost in the actual technical and physical building of a piece that sometimes you lose track. You lose track that there are people out there who can't build like you and something that comes easy for you doesn't come easy to other people. And when you present it to them, it's magical for them. They don't see the building of it like you do. They don't see the technical aspect of building a piece of furniture. They just see the finished piece and to them, it's art. You have both that artistic side and that business side and, and put together, that's what a successful business is, is grown from. And so I, I want people listening to learn as much from you as possible. When it comes to pricing, do you have a specific pricing model that you work with? Sure. Sure. Okay. Well, we'll start with, um, furniture stores. Okay. When furniture stores Obviously, the majority of them, they don't make their furniture. They buy their furniture low and they sell it high. When they do their markup, <clears throat> they mark it up to a standard furniture formula of 2.2. So whatever, if they bought it for, for $200, they're going to multiply that by 2.2. Um, and that will be considered their wholesale price. 
they'll take that wholesale price and multiply it by 2.2 again, and that will be their retail price. And that formula has pretty much uh, been driven by the furniture furniture industry uh, since the beginning of time that, that I'm aware of. Uh, you know, don't don't quote me exactly, but furniture stores have been using that formula for a long time. Whatever they bought something for at a wholesale price, they marked it up to 2.2. And that's what they'll sell it as wholesale if they have a wholesale line that they're doing for vendors like interior designers. Uh, now, and, and, you know, so they went, they took their cost and multiplied it by 2.2 and that was their wholesale for vendors. Um, most of the listeners here, uh, I wouldn't recommend doing anything wholesale unless you plan on building an assembly line uh, of people in your shop. So you're going to be, you know, selling retail. So essentially you're going to take your, your material cost and you're going to take whatever your labor rate time is. And it's going to be estimated. Now, of course, add in a little waste for material, add in a little buffer for, for labor. Um, and your labor rate is going to be based on what you think you're worth, whether, you know, you need to make this much money, uh, a year, you're going to have to do your math and you're going to have to divide it up into what that breaks down to per hour. So you can get your right hourly rate. Um, and you're going to take your material costs and you're going to add that to your labor costs. And like I said, buff them up just a little bit for mistakes. And then you're going to multiply that by 2.2. Uh, that will be your wholesale cost. Don't sell it wholesale unless you plan on going huge with your assembly line type stuff. But take that wholesale cost and now multiply it by 2.2 again. And that's your retail cost. If you do that, you know, that's very simply putting this. If you do that, you're going to cover your business needs. You're going to cover your supplies, your material, your labor. You're not going to work for free. And by doing that, it's also um, it's going to allow you to grow your business. Now, of course, you could sell your, your furniture very low and you, you could do the cost factor, the material and the labor times 2.2, which would be wholesale and sell that wholesale price to customers. But by doing that, you're going to make your job that you need for yourself, the money that you need, but you're not going to be able to take your business to the next level and grow where you can, you can get that bigger joiner, that bigger planer, or eventually hire another person uh, or better yet, go get a bigger shop. If you, if you do the wholesale price point, you're just not going to be able to grow. You're going to survive and you'll basically create a job for yourself, but you're not going to be able to create a business for yourself. And, and that's the difference um, that I see a lot of people do is they, they shaft the retail price point a little bit um, and they, they, their price point is so low, it's actually wholesale. Um, and now you can play with that a little bit. So let's say that you're, you're just starting out today, day one. Um, you might not want to multiply it by 2.2, uh, multiply it by 1.5. You can play with that a little bit, but the point I'm making is you have to beef it up and to create a job for yourself, you're going to sell wholesale to create a business for yourself. You're going to sell retail and retail is based on that formula cost times 2.2 wholesale times 2.2 again for retail. And that's what you're going to need. Thank you. Thank, thank you for sharing that because a, a lot of people out there are looking to figure out how to price their own furniture. And right now, you know, some, some of these people, they're, they're just breaking even or, or they're treading water. And it's just a, such a frustrating place 
to find yourself in. You, you're putting in so much work, but you just aren't getting anywhere. Besides, besides just adopting your pricing model, do you have any other suggestions for someone who's trying to get the most money out of their business? A lot of my sponsors, a lot of suppliers might get frustrated with me, but if you're going to step out of creating a job for yourself and try to create a business for yourself, you are not going to be able to buy retail and sell retail. Meaning don't buy sandpaper at a retail price and then sell your furniture at a retail price. It's just breaking even. It doesn't make sense. It's not good business. Um, it's been hard for me to do that, you know, because there's a lot of suppliers and sponsors and vendors and stuff that I use. Um, and I, I, I support them. So even even to this day, I'll still buy some stuff retail. But for the for the for the majority of the time with uh, fasteners, Z clips, uh, figure eight clips, uh, screws, glue, I, I'm buying that stuff on volume at wholesale prices. Uh, so that way, when I sell my furniture, it's at a true retail price point. Yes, that that makes total sense. Like we both know, the, the furniture business is a juxtaposition between two worlds, the business side and the artistic side. And unfortunately, the artistic side and the business side don't always come hand in hand. In truth, they, they rarely do. You usually have one side of the coin and then you have to work very, very hard at getting the other side. But that hard work is worth it if it's what you want to do in the end. In the end, you get something that you love. And yes, it's hard, but it's also rewarding. And we both know that too. Uh, you know, I'm sure that you feel better at the end of a day that you spent in the shop, better than at the end of a day that you spent in your past life selling security systems or, or any of the other jobs that you were working at. But also, as we've both said again and again, that the passion to do this can't be the only thing that you have. If you don't have both sides working in unison, the artistic and the business, then you can't be successful. That's right. What are some final thoughts that you can share for somebody who's just starting out? Somebody who thinks that they want to make that jump into building furniture, but they don't know if it's right for them. Or, or somebody who's in the middle of it. They've been doing this for a while now, but they're just looking to take their company to the next level. Um, well, you know, this is going to sound a little cliche, uh, but I've got a saying and it's just, you got this. And I mean that very seriously. You got this. You're going to, anybody starting their furniture business, it's not going to be all flowers and rainbows. You're it's, it's going to be an emotional roller coaster. Um, and you can, you can skip through a lot of hardships and stuff with doing lots of research and learning, but nonetheless, you're going to go through some trials and some journeys and you're going to lose some money on some pieces. And I think the very, very most practical piece of advice I can give is you're going to have to tell yourself, you got this no matter what you've got it. You can't give up. Uh, success is often found on the other side of failure. So if if you're not selling any furniture over and over and over and over again and you're about to give up well then guess what you're going to give up and you're never going to get to that success even though you're passionate about it so very first you're going to have to tell yourself you got this uh so don't give up no matter what you do i started out almost homeless uh and food deprived and when i say food deprived 
we had two little daughters at that time and we sent them to school with rice and crackers. Um, and we had uh, family and friends bringing us food. Um, and that was until the school picked up on our hardships. And then the school started giving us loaves of bread and peanut butter and jelly and stuff like that. So when I say hardships, I've been through it. And there's so much I'm leaving out of the hardships. It, it's insane. Uh, but the very first thing I'd like to attack is the mental side. And as long as you can get your head right, knowing you're not going to give up no matter what, because this is your passion and this is your dream, then you will be a success. So you got this is number one. Number two, find your voice, find your style of furniture and, and dig in, dig deep. Um, I also would highly recommend starting out as a side hustle. Uh, a lot of people hate when I tell them that because they're ready today to go full time uh, in their minds. And that's good. Go for it. it I, I'm a big fan of that. If you can pull it off, do it. But I would like the journey to be a little less stressful for you. Uh, like I said, my my journey was so stressful uh, that it, it was just I can't believe I've made it this far. And if it hadn't been for my wife telling me you got this, I would have given up. Uh, so many times. I, I wouldn't be here today. I would I would have never met you, Ethan. I, I wouldn't be on this interview. I it's just it's crazy. So don't give up. Find your voice. Get your price points right. Try to start out as a side hustle. Start in your home garage. Um and and just because you may or may not have all the tools or machines that you think you need right now, I, I want to tell you this. When I started this journey, I had no tools basically i mean i had the lamest set of tools any woodworker if you could i couldn't even call myself a woodworker with the amount the, the least amount of toys of tools i had it was sad um but the creative side of me wanted to offer people amazing products uh like a huge uh curved uh balustrade on a dining table like a restoration hardware base and all i had was a jigsaw but i had to jigsaw the pattern out and segment the boards piece by piece by piece until it actually made a big balustrade block. Um, you can do that with just a jigsaw. There's so much you can do. Don't let the tools limit you. I actually get, that's probably my number one uh, criticism that I get uh, in the social media world is, of course you can build that because you got this tool, you can do that. And I can't do it, so What's the point? You know, I get similar comments like that often is my biggest criticism, but it always bumps me out because if you knew the builds that I was able to build from a basic sanding sponge and a basic jigsaw uh, and a circular saw, it would blow your mind. And it's not that I'm just so creative and amazing. It's just I really thought through how can I offer this cool product today with no tools until I can upgrade myself to get tools that make it, you know, twice as fast and or you know probably 10 times as fast and actually make a lot more money so don't let the tools hinder you everybody that i've came in contact with lets that hinder them on their on starting their furniture making business please don't um so start out where you are with what you have today start out in your garage as a side hustle make a postcard make a brochure whatever you do get going face to face building your brand in your local community because after all that's where you're going to start selling your furniture. It's going to be local. You're, you're not going to live in Florida and suddenly start producing furniture for some high-end market in California. It's just not going to happen. You got to start somewhere and your local community is, is where it's going to be. Keep the mental focus. 
stay through it. Don't, don't give up, keep the course, keep charging forward, get your pricing right. Um, and focus hard on that pricing. Uh, the material cost, that's easy. Um, you know, your supplier, whether that's Home Depot uh, or a sawmill, that's easy because they're going to tell you what the price point is per board foot. Um, that's pretty straightforward. It's the labor cost that's going to mess you up and multiplying that two times so you can get to the retail price point. Don't mess that up. Big mistake if you skip that step. Don't skip it. I skipped it and fought it like a, like a warrior. And I was barely able to survive the first couple of years in business because I refused to believe that theory. Um, and I, once I snapped out of it, things got a lot, a lot better. So stay the course. You got this. Donnie, thank you so much for just sharing a wealth, a wealth of knowledge. This could obviously be a four day interview. We could talk for hours about <laughs> Absolutely. I really do appreciate it. I really do appreciate you sharing your time and your knowledge with uh, everyone here. Thank you. Yeah, man, absolutely. Thanks for having me. Like I said, it, it, it was a pleasure meeting you uh, at, at Workbench. It was awesome getting to finally be on your, your podcast. I'm a big fan, my man, and uh, I really appreciate it. You're the best. Oh, well, thank you so much. That's very sweet of you. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> if that... you ever want me on for a 2.0, we'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds that sounds good to me. I might take you up on that. Absolutely. Thanks so much for listening to Building a Furniture Brand with Ethan Abramson. If you liked what you heard, you can subscribe to this podcast anywhere you like to listen. To learn more about the show, you can visit buildingafurniturebrand.com. And feel free to reach out anytime to say hey, ask a question, or suggest a guest for future episodes. Our email is hello at buildingafurniturebrand.com. You can follow along with me on Instagram at thebuildwithethan, and I can't wait to bring you the next episode. This show is produced and edited by me, Ethan Abramson. Hope you enjoyed, and thanks so much for listening. The Building a Furniture Brand with Ethan Abramson podcast is proudly part of the Woodpreneur Network the media network and community for wood entrepreneurs. Check out woodpreneurlife.com for more information.